Hi you guys, I'm so sorry I'm putting this out late because I'd uploaded the unedited version, so if you got to download that, lucky you I guess, but it was only Hope Sound. I I started my job, my, my full-time job, this week on Wednesday, and I was supposed to meet my manager, and he wasn't showing up on Wednesday, and then on Thursday he wasn't there either, and it turns out he had passed away, and there have been three other hires including me. So yeah, it was just a crazy, crazy past week, honestly. But again, I apologize. And I hope you guys enjoy. I, I want to read six books next year. Um, not pod related or pod related? I was going to incorporate if we read some memoirs, I'll yeah. incorporate them because I need to give myself the most amount of breaks as possible, you know, but yeah, because I really want to reach six. And I know that sounds very low. But listen, like I have a lot going on. And unfortunately, it's not reading. So yeah, multiple hobbies, multiple jobs. I feel like I'm a parent who's like, I'm just glad she's reading, you know, <laughs> about myself. Welcome to Fascism Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Jackie. And this is our podcast where we, it's like you're at a sleepover with us. We've done a lot of reading about art and fashion and we are just dying to tell you our thoughts. Yeah. And it's us workshopping it through. It's, yeah, it's us learning with you. Yeah. Keyword conversational. If that's not your vibe, totally fine. You can just hit the road. And if you do like it, you know that giving us five stars is like the right thing to do. We are DIY, small company. Small woman-owned business. Small woman-owned business, you know. We um, haven't even gotten that first dollar to tape on the wall yet. Not even. <laughs> we're, we're the negative right now, if yeah. anything. And Jackie. <laughs> Here it goes. <laughs> what's trending for you? Okay, so what's trending for me is how right I am about overhead lighting. It has come into play too many times. And... I'm like, why are, what are, what's with overhead lighting? Why is anybody doing overhead lighting? Why do we even have overhead lighting? Un unless we're in surgery, why, do, why is overhead lighting even an option? Okay. I'm, and I'm truly, I don't understand. And I, and it just seems every party I've gone to, the overhead lighting is the only thing that's on. It's not even side lighting with the overhead lighting. Ryan and I went to a Christmas party overhead lighting blaring no music it's just a vibe that people don't catch on to or complain about i don't yeah. i don't get it if that party was a guy you would have broken up with him on the spot on the spot a hundred percent then we went to another cooler party because it did have music and food i mean this other party had food but it wasn't as good food we had games so that was nice still overhead lighting right looks i mean looks up yeah and so we had a little moment where we're just like here's did the overhead they have lighting lamps, they just didn't have them turned on they had uh, overhead lighting and the lamps turned on and then at one point for some reason they turned off the lights for like a day or and i was like "Ooh, this is a good vibe why don't we keep it this way just kind of like suggesting it because i don't want anybody to think that i'm i don't want anybody misconstrued my critique as being bitchy it's not anything personal just turn off your fucking overhead lights but like they said something, they were like, just like, oh, I just didn't think it was like what we needed. I don't know why. And I was just like, oh, but I like it. Maybe we should just keep it down low. Did but they keep it down low? Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, only one person needs to suggest it for it to be. Because otherwise, for someone to like, someone would have to rebuke it at that point, you know? Yeah, yeah. And for the person to argue against like keeping the overhead lighting, I would like to meet you because why? Both parties. And then I, I hosted my own party-ish. It was like a, it was a 
student showcasing. So I wanted low lights. I wanted vibes. I wanted just like movies going on the screen that you had like you could only tune into with art gallery vibes. Lights here and there, and like, but warmer spots to land on. Listen, I had a vision. Literally, I got so many compliments. Everybody was just like, I've never seen this place look so good. Okay, mind you, this is like a community hub. So like, yeah, most community events are not thought about at any level. Like they're like, we got some tables. That's all we need. And I didn't have any overhead lighting. The whole point of that is no over. I turned off the lights. I I brought the lights. I even brought my own lamp. I thought about the lighting. (laughs) Yeah, glad it went well. And I'm glad that you were right because I know that makes you happy. It does make me happy. hope what's trending with you trending with me is the calm after the storm i was in like a chaotic work hole for like a month i don't know how people do this year round multiple 12-hour days including saturdays i felt like i was a prisoner like Mm, i i just so sorry i kept having people giving me red lines and being like we need them by tomorrow and i just felt like i couldn't say no and it was this weird thing where people kept being like thank you so much for for doing this for giving up your weekend to do this and I'm like I'm literally just afraid of getting fired I'm just afraid of getting fired but it did like lead to some good moments between my boss and I like I got kind of frustrated on a call with the people who we were who were like consultants for and I thought that I'd like gone too far and after I got off the call one of my coworkers, who's like I am so impressed with you that was so professional. I'm learning from you, like the way you conducted yourself. And then my boss came out of the room and w- and I was like, I'm sorry. She's like, why? No, it's, I'm sorry. I couldn't like protect you more or something. I was like, you can't fire me after all of this. And she was like, you please don't quit. It was just like honest. Yeah. And it just felt good yeah. to be honest and to like also know that I wasn't getting fired. <laughs> it's like the kind of thing where like, I think that's how people get some of these things done is they make you feel like you did something wrong. Right. So that you no, keep- that's exactly what they do trying and I just so I kept feeling like I was done something wrong urgency and lack of clarity is what abusers a lot of boss which is the same thing to me what bosses thrive off of yeah. that's how you really control people to spend a lot of time on something yeah we finished we had had that community meeting it went well whatever I'm just have been trying to put my life back together in the wake of it and this is I said this to my boss I was like I'm just fragile like I just can't do it like other people can. Like I've just felt so out of whack. I felt like... Don't I know. feel like a lot of people can't though. And, and that's the thing where there's, you know, the talk on autism of like people like, I, I don't know, a rise of people self-diagnosing themselves, I guess, with autism or ADHD. And there are comments that are like, you can't self-diagnose. Rebuttal to that was, it's just putting in structures that should exist already. So like we're putting in needs so they can be met. If you need to self-diagnose yourself to get those things met, then all by all means, like let's do that. Mm. But they should already be there. Mm. So I think about like how the lack of support and system at work and like people being expected to go beyond the capacity that they have and being able to be like, I literally can't because I have self-diagnosed myself is beneficial. Like it's- right, right. It's, it can only be beneficial. Yeah, yeah. I, that if you can get something for yourself, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you're just like filling out a fucking form anyway. But also just like the the world should be created around understanding that, that everybody has needs or right, right. has some disability. Mm-hmm. Therefore, people that are like completely able-bodied would have to request to go beyond. You know right, what I mean? Right. Rather than those people having to request yes. things, why don't we just have a work culture that's like, but yeah, and... I just, I've been letting loose where I can. I took one night off and went to a party with Brian and his like cohort and got real drunk. I was like telling all my work people, I was like, I'm going to a party 
with a bunch of therapists and I need it. And then we had like Brian's family friends do a Christmas caroling party every year where they just sit in a room together and sing songs. And I was just hitting that wine. I was hitting that dip. I was hitting that cheese dip. There was like a brie with like nuts and like curry mm. stuff on it. And I've just some- been dying for a classic queso and mm, sorry I just got excited you can't live through me but yeah and then there was like hot chocolate with schnapps we hit the drinks we sang our hearts out we went back to his parents house we went to bed woke up and opened christmas presents yeah i one more anecdote it's one of the like most touching moments of friendship was in high school we somehow went to like a college party and I took a shot of like straight something and probably tequila. Definitely tequila. And it was so gross that I just barfed it up like immediately on the spot. So my friends like huddled around me so that no one could see, you know? That's so sweet. And like we cleaned it up and just kept on with our night. Oh my God. My first taste of alcohol was tequila, supposedly, from what I can remember. And I took a shot and immediately vomited. Ugh, so gross. I mean, I love the taste of alcohol now. Not so much tequila, but like... I like a a drink that where I can't taste the alcohol. I like a whiskey forward cocktail, but like... That's fair. I like the... Too. I guess I just like the taste of whiskey. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not like other girls. No, the taste of whiskey is warm, and when they got cinnamon and stuff in it, mm. it's a warm drink. It's mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. I used to whatever. I used to drink whiskey out like by the pint because I was probably a raging alcoholic in college. But you're not a raging alcoholic until you, a, after college. <laughs> right that is that is america anyways let's go let's move on to basically the trends of 2022 where am i yeah i feel like an old person i'm like where is all the tabs that are open okay i feel like we've got to do a good summary to get us started because this episode is a lot it's jam-packed with goodness and i feel like right how would you describe because you kind of went on had a night of inspiration and wrote a lot of this so how i got we- off my meds <laughs> and just had three hours to fill you know i wanted to do a looking back and a looking forward last year we did some trend forecasting as in we looked at wgsn's trends and we did our own personal kind of like gathering of tiktok trends predicted what would happen in 2022 i want to see i want to compare and contrast our notes discuss what it means mm-hmm. because every tra- trend does have some conceptual meaning behind it like it's not we don't mindlessly trend even though technically we kind of are in tiktok world but there's still even within those mo- like hyper trending that is saying something within itself mm-hmm. that, that there is some meaning behind that. Mm-hmm. And then I want to look forward and kind of predict and looked at uh, WGSN's consumer reports of their predictions and as well, like, what does that mean for us? And I also wanted to set up like just some notable main- mainstream moments, like a, a little wrap up of this year's fashion yeah okay yeah so we're kicking off by by looking back at 2022 and yeah and talking about some memorable memorable fashion moments i also wrote down some memorable like think pieces first off there is a huge shift currently happening right now in fashion history i guess you could say i mean it's not like probably gonna be that notable but it is notable a lot of people are stepping down Things are happening. Mm. Ricardo Tishi is leaving Burberry. Do I know these people? No. Have I ever looked at a Burberry thing in my life? No. Yeah, like the like the plaid or whatever. Those like that like tan plaid. Oh, like the trench coats. It's yeah. the trench coats. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Tishi brought back the Burberry from 
nothing. Okay. And Daniel Lee is replacing him. Daniel Lee also worked for another company and brought that one back too. So it's definitely a different look. I looked at Tishi's stuff from Burberry from this year or this past year, and it it is really cool. It's not boring. Mm. I didn't look at any Daniel Lee stuff. Alexander Michelle. Is that how you say it? Alessandro Michelle. Is leaving Gucci. Do you know why? No, why? I don't know why either. I mean, I guess people just do, but. Google's maybe a little bit, but I'm just assuming he's had enough. His collections are what draw people into fashion. Like, I think a lot of people have looked at his stuff and been like, what is going on? And then that's what got us into it. I mean, like. Yeah, I've liked what he's done with Gucci a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't like James Franco and him being friends, but I do love everything. Like the head thing. Yeah, great. It says that they, it sounds like the brand made the decision after they request for him, they requested that he orchestrate a creative revamp. I don't know. Okay, whatever. Gucci needs to be thinking of. Oh, so maybe of. he already did the creative revamp. I don't know. We, we don't know much about this. Apparently. Yeah, we don't. But he's leaving Gucci. Yeah, okay. You know, Balenciaga being essentially canceled, canceled for their, um, well, we'll see. I don't think they're actually yeah, we'll canceled. See. But for their ad featuring Children carrying teddy, teddy bears. bears wearing leather harnesses. Yeah, totally inappropriate. And I didn't care that much about that. And then the like porn, the like pedophilia cases, that seemed weirder to me. Or yeah, having it on like a tabletop with the picture, the purse with all the paperwork. Yeah. It seemed so inappropriate, unnecessary. It's, it's completely like completely unnecessary, meaningless, just like for shock value. And Raph Simmons closed his shop. I don't know if you guys like Ralph Simmons, but I don't really like his stuff personally. He's kind of boring, but he's part of the anti-fashion fashion movement. And he just officially closed down like uh, his line, which was, again, a part of like especially menswear or fashion, that 90s era where a lot of people were retaliating against the mainstream mas- uh, fashion. He was anti-fashion at the time, but I, I would argue at this point. He's, oh, he's, he's not. He's yeah. sold out. Right. He worked for Dior. Well, and even if you don't sell out, it's like you can be... It's like, I feel like anti-fashion, the more I read about it, it's so fleeting. It's like right. one second you're anti-fashion, the next second it's main, it's been absorbed. It's been recuperated. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Mumu was declared the brand of the year by List. I don't know who List is, but I would agree. I would yeah. say Mumu is the brand of the year, mostly because Euphoria, and, I really think. And that collection with the miniskirt, people are just obsessed with it. Exactly. And that like cut off. Yeah, people were obsessed with it. And it, it also kind of ties into maybe it's very indie sleaze is what I'm going to say. It is. Yeah. And it also makes me think it's like youthful. Mm-hmm. And so there's like kind of like a youthful style, like a bubbling up versus trickling down mm-hmm. thing happening with style. Edward Info claims he won't be taking Anna Wintour's position. He wasn't involved in the Global Vogue thing for September issue that Anna Wintour put together, which is very notable because they do have a relationship and kind of weird that he didn't. But I also think his eyeballs might have been falling out of his head is what I always assume. You mean, he's wearing sunglasses here and there. And I'm like, what's going on with your eyes, dude? I want to know. If you haven't listened to our Edward Enipal series, his vision, he has vision problems. Like he's had to get a lot of surgeries and he will sometimes wear sunglasses when he has to go to the red carpet despite his eyeballs almost falling out. And yeah, he's claiming that he doesn't even want to take the position in America. He's like, why is everybody obsessed with American Vogue? Fair. I, I like that. I like that argument. Amy O'Dell, who was the writer of Anna Wintour's book, was just like, for those that really hope that Edward Niffel will take American Vogue, that's a classic move. Anna Wintour did the exact same thing what to did she do? Grace Marbella. She said, oh, I think Grace Marbella is doing a great job over there at oh. American Vogue. Why would I oh. need to take the position? Yeah, you're definitely not going to say you're going to take the position. Right. Old Loser in Brooklyn predicted that 
this coming year or this past year, Anna Wintour would like start putting things in place for her retirement. She's not going to retire yet, but she's going to like start putting stuff in place. One of those predictions that you can't possibly refute. Yeah, I I would agree just because I was also reading about, I don't know, her fight with one of the designers, I mean, whatever, it doesn't, it's not that important, but basically him, but the reason they started fighting, she like loved him and would put him in vogue all the time until the point where he had an interview being like, Anna Wintour has no sense of style. Whoa. Which she doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, Andy Warhol said the same thing. Like, this is not, like, people that are in the fashion world don't, I don't, that appreciate fashion for what it is, not just like, just the industry would say Anna Wintour has no sense of style. But anyways, yeah. Susan Alexandra was my personal breakout star. I loved the the nostalgia of their beaded purses, their silliness. Their, it's just very creative. Do you, do you have a breakout star that you liked? Did I put you on the spot? You did, yeah. I mean, I don't really... I don't know, Melissa's. You, you bought a few shoes. From... I did buy a couple pair of Melissa shoes. Yeah, and they did some cool collabs like with Colleen Nostrata, but they... They come out with too many products. I'm like, I'm not into it. Okay. Oh, Dauphinette. That's like, I've sent you some of their stuff. They do a lot of like, like porcelain shard earrings. They did like the raincoat that had a bunch of like flowers inside of it. I mm-hmm. sent you it. That and Nicole McLaughlin. I don't think she like sells clothes, but she does the like, she did like a charcuterie board pair of underwear and like. What a, do you mean charcuterie board pair of underwear? It's really hard to, to describe. <laughs> She did a thong made of like a Ziploc bag that had stuff inside of it. It's just, it's very oh. like, yeah. Yeah, those are my, those are my. I love favorites. those answers. Other news, Oxford word of the year is, what are you, have, are you looking at it, Hope? Mm-hmm. Goblin mode, which is what Spotify said I listened to the most mm-hmm. at night. Because mm-hmm. I did like morning, afternoon, night. And I was like, gob, no, goblin core. I'm sorry. It was what they said that I listened to. I was like, what is goblin core? Is it the Olivia Rodriguez that I listened to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I truly don't know what that meant. But goblin mode is the, is the, what do you think that means? When I hear it, it makes me think of like Dracula music. It's like the worst version of yourself. I think. Oh, that's what it means to go goblin mode. But oh, I love that. It's like getting into goblin mode. That's pretty funny. Yeah, we did need a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay and then merriam webster's word of the year is gaslight i feel like gaslight's had its moment i don't think it was this year when did uh the chicks album come out a couple years ago yeah so that i feel like that word is on its downfall people are almost over it you know people are sick of it for sure but people still be gaslighting so i don't know how else, how else to say it yeah gaslighting is a like interpersonal tool yeah it's still alive and well yeah it's like you now we have the understanding of what it looks like but yeah people are definitely sick of it okay Okay. should i do my memorable moments yes bimbofication was a term that that spread in popularity talking about a reaction to a resistance against the white patriarchal norms of talking dressing expressing oneself bimbofication you know says that you can say like a lot and have long nails and fake tits or whatever and still be respected or not be respected and you don't care because you don't need the respect of those people. Of the patriarchy. Of the patriarchy. There was a vibe shift. Do you remember that article that came? It was like the... A vibe shift? No. I think I do, but I... Go on. New York Mag, February. Allison P. Davis had a story called A Vibe Shift is Coming. Will Any of Us Survive It? Which came from Sean Monahan's. He has a substack called 8 Ball. He was 
the founder of a trend forecasting consultancy called 8Ball, and then there's part of this art collective called K-Hole. He published an article predicting a vibe shift, and she kind of summarizes it as like, he also, in addition to Old Loser in Brooklyn, predicted the return of early aughts indie sleaze, American apparel, flash photography at parties, messy hair, messy makeup, talks about a return to scene culture, elements of the naughty oddies nostalgia, players are personalities more interested in the literary than the artistic, more interested in the who follows than how many followers, musically, it'll be a return to rock. So the article was kind of just talking about like the vibe shifts that have happened, like from going from like hipster to like the EDM hyper political of like the uh like 2016s to the and then everyone was kind of like holding their breath waiting for like what the vibe shift was going to be post pandemic because it felt like things kind of paused so she interviewed him or sorry Amy O'Dell interviewed Sean Monahan and they were kind of talking about what that vibe shift has looked like. So I'll go into that later. But so there was this like vibe shift anticipated. And then the last piece that I thought was influential was the trends are dead piece, which talks about how there's dozens of names of different internet aesthetics, but they are no longer meaningfully tied to subcultures. And it feels like that's kind of related because like to the vibe shift and everything, because we just keep talking about, we keep naming all these different aesthetics. And I feel like we're like demystifying them. Yeah. And this cycle, it's like we... We're too aware. We're too cognizant. Right. But for this year, something else that it's becoming very popular towards the like right now, like it's just now kind of picking up because the chat GPT, which over the past month, I mean, like in the first five days, got a million what is this? users. This is the AI writer. Oh. So they can write a landlord like – requests to lower your rent they can write a cover letter they, they can write you a basic workout so i was i asked them what the trends were oh really yeah it's scary First of 2022 off, or of 2023 well good question because i said 2022 well they came back with me and said that they don't have any information past 2021 and i don't know why oh interesting this is when i say they i mean an ai I said, what was trending in fashion uh, in fashion for 2022? And I said, I'm sorry, but I don't have information about trends in fashion for 2022 because my knowledge was cut off in 2021. However, I can tell you about some of the fashion trends that were popular in 2021 and earlier. Some of the popular fashion trends in 2021 included oversized and relaxed fits, mm. sustainable and eco-friendly fashion, neutrals and monochromatic colors, and graphic and bold prints. <laughs> Okay. Other, it just feels like they're naming everything. This Other, isn't like spooky. Yeah. No, but still, it is spooky in the sense that how fast they can come up with this shit. And that they are writing. This is like just fully written AI shit. Um, can they think the graphic, graphic and bold prints? It's just like, there's just so many things that were happening that it's like. I don't think there was a trend. Yeah. In 2021. I don't think there was. A, there's a trend now, honestly. Like, it's also, it says other trends include statement piece accessories such as chunky shoes and oversized bags and a vintage and nostalgic styles, including vintage inspired prints and colors. It's also worth noting that fashion trends can vary by loca- location and culture. So what is popular in one place may not be popular in another. Fashion is also constantly evolving. So it's always a good idea to stay updated on the latest trends and to wear what feels comfortable and true to your own personal Whoa. style. This is from a robot? A robot said that? Yeah. Whoa. That's what I'm saying. This chat GBT is terrifying. It can replace you in jobs. That's what people are 
really scared about. Oh, God. And it's this is like, like what I'm going to encounter when I'm trying to get my insurance thing. Yeah, you can ask it any question. Okay, so then, and then what we talked about last year when we did our trend when we did our trend episode what i remembered from it i just i didn't go back and listen to that episode but i just like wrote a few things we had talked about like very eclectic personal style like a dominance of just like wearing whatever you want kind of personal style which we could argue is like a type of anti-fashion indie sleaze ballet core apocalypse core kid core yes because you go you're going on to talk about radical optimism that was like one of the things that was predicted that was one thing that we talked about yeah okay that was a consumer vision for a wgsn so we're talking about whether or not trends were realized in 2022 is that yeah so radical optimism was what wgsn like i said was a consumer intention vibe as you might say that they were trying to basically sell like sell like they were trying to convince uh people this kind of attitude should be marketed um in in our eyeballs so because that was the general consensus was like there needed to be hope and there needed to be radically some like a radical hope because because of capitalism, which is just funny, whatever. It's like interacting with each other in the sense like, how can radical optimism be sold to us? Right, right. And I mean, this is obviously also a pandemic response. Like, yeah, they're like, oh, people are now optimistic because they're like emerging from this whatever pandemic hole. Yeah. And like I was saying, like, again, a consumer report on radical optimism, which is just it has nothing to do with con- consuming, but it has everything to do with consuming. Right. But it really where you're going to find radical optimism is in the revolution. That's where it exists. That's that is the that's where people have to stay to to stay motivated. You know, it's like some people. I mean, I think a lot of people, I guess. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you interpret the word radical to mean. Well, radical optimism, I think, is more optimism is isn't the word I would use in that situation. I would think radical hope because you have to believe it's going to change for to try to make the change, right? Like you have to believe that there's a possibility to exist to make the work happen, to justify the work happening. You have to believe that like, right, like that what you're going to work for every day is meaningful and that your life can be safe, like whatever, good, <laughs> like that you can have the things that you want, I guess. Yes, want, I guess, but... The civil rights was a belief that something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so they made it happen. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a question of like, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. Did the results come what they had envisioned? Probably not. No, like we still have mass, mass incarceration. But there was still the hope that it could change mm-hmm. and therefore it exi- like the, rev- the civil rights existed. Mm-hmm. So that is radical optimism in my view. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing it. You can find it really now in the labor movement that is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think because in, in the capitalism system, the labor revolution is the only is the only thing that's going to free us all. And we're seeing that people are fighting for more of, the, of their labor rights. So yes, I guess radical optimism did trend in the sense there was a, a spike over, I mean, the last two years, really. Yeah, I mean, I wonder when they when they listed radical optimism as something that was going to be trending, like how did they think that companies were going to monetize that? Like clearly labor movements wasn't what WGSN was predicting or hoping for. I wonder 
if WJSN's radical optimism message to con- to as a consumer report was given to Pepsi, and then they created that Kindle Jenner c- commercial mm-hmm. where she gave a Pepsi to the to the cop, right? That was like pre this, though, right? I think it was pre this, but that's like a way that you. Uh, could... No, it was. I think it was during the George Floyd stuff, though. But it was like you know pre twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. That's like a way that you could try to co opt radical optimism. I would say so. I mean, it's not tasteful. It's no. not without obvious critique because again, it's in the face of capitalism. You can't right. be selling something like radical optimism. What about Victoria's Secret? What about the VS Collective? That's a like, good example. Rebranding with all of their like. I because they got in real big trouble of how queer women bipoc women yeah they trying to rebrand themselves as feminist essentially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i would definitely say they took that note too mm-hmm. i mean we are seeing it like they're mm-hmm. trying like woke capitalism they are trying to sell themselves as like and that we're supposed to believe that they're changing yeah but jokes on them because what's actually happening is that people are unionizing i listened to a podcast just for this information called the daily ever heard of it i mean if you have it it's fine but it's just an npr show and it's like the only radio show maybe left i listened to an episode called Basically, they discussed unions making a huge comeback. And the intent to form unions went up 60%, claimed this reporter that has been reporting on unions for like 35 years or something like that. Some, a very long time. And he had never seen such a jump in his time covering unions. Of course, unions are a big deal because they make people more money. Like the reason people would want to- make workers more money. Yeah, yeah, workers more money. So like that's why people usually unionize, right? And you'll just see union jobs in general are really nice and shiny. That's why I want to be part of the city because I know they're mostly unionized. They have really great benefits. They have really good pay. Union jobs are just better jobs. Mm-hmm. And really what has ignited is wages has stagnated and concentration of wealth has been increasing basically. So the disparity has pulling apart from each other. And it's just this crazy shift of- polarization is very much trending (laughs) you know like it's been happening but like people are are, like burnt out essentially Mm. and historically for this kind of jump we don't know exactly how what's going to characterize a labor movement because like a lot of social labor movements are kind of unpredictable unpredictable when they happen you you can't be like this is the reason and this is the reason but we can look at some historical information especially in the US and say these are some of the factors that are similar to the ones that we have now right so and i just kind of thought this was interesting i'm going to both working conditions in the 30s and 40s and now are unusually bad and another characteristic that's similar is inequality of wealth is at a high so those are kind of two obvious factors that kind of go into a labor movement shift and both of those things really need to happen at once for it to occur is that job conditions aren't great pretty bad what does that mean like people are dying on the job probably overworking themselves physically people get burned out what happened in the 30s was they were doing those lines and they had like linemen or like i guess like managers like yelling at people to go faster and these things and like really putting people physically burnt out in a matter of a few months like physically couldn't do stuff because they'd be like go faster go faster and like they'd be working long hours to the point where they couldn't keep doing their and that's kind of what i mean like conditions are stressful you're physically burnt out and mentally burnt out and almost incapable of 
continue working mm-hmm. in the conditions that you are provided. And a huge expansion of unions happens in the 30s because of these combinations, like I just said. And in the Depression, people knew they deserved more. But what was happening, it was like 1939, and the economy was gaining back its strength, kind of like how the economy is building back its strength. Now-ish, General Motors was getting the biggest rebound, and GM was the forefront of the economy, especially in the 30s. Similar to how tech is the forefront of our economy now like that it's not building right now it's it's kind of suffering but it it is still building in the sense that it is it's still the forefront of our economy i would i would argue it's suffering some in some capacities and still staying strong in others fair it's such a huge industry it's It's like it depends on whether you're talking about like social media websites versus like yeah but there's still the one that holds most of the wealth when it comes to jobs. Mm-hmm. And General Motors used to be that, mm-hmm. you know? And GM employed half of vehicles in the country. Like, they made half the vehicles that were, like, being used in the country, which is crazy. Yeah. And hired a bunch of employees. So, like, a lot of people worked for them. And GM would just sh- shut down factory for a couple months of a year, and workers would basically have no income during that time. Which I'm all about not working but like you should be getting paid uh, like you should have a life and the second thing that was like that brought a lot of frustration with this was something called the speed up like i was just telling you the, the gm was going to make you go faster and faster till your body was just basically used up and foremans would just walk around with watches and which would increase stress and people's bodies would just completely break essentially of course albert stein equivalent to jeff bezos now you could say super wealthy and he's the guy that runs gm and obviously lived a very different life from his workers so basically they were looking at albert stone he's living his luxurious life not doing half the physical labor that these workers were doing and the workers were looking at this like being like why don't we get to have that like why don't we get a sliver of that and another thing that's very similar to now a lot of these workers were educated and saw themselves as powerful but not powerless Mm. and that's very now today like we see starbucks and the amazon like these are educate people that have a college degree right that yeah that builds frustration and so they decided that they could take their uh, matters into their own hands and united automobile workers was created and the first uh week the union in 1937 there was this heat wave okay and workers in these factories are getting heat stroke and even some die the union starts to get the momentum that they finally needed because they were kind of like not getting the momentum and gm wasn't even recognizing them as a union and then so they needed to do something kind of drastic to get the attention from gm to to legitimize this so 50 workers did a sit down they were going into work and sitting down and slowing down the work it's an an intentional way so they're not out in the strike, like they're not protesting and are out in the streets not working. They're coming into work, which is something GM would hate the most. It's like they could just hire, rehire new people. Oh, but they're there taking the space of a job, but like not doing the job. Basically. Yes, essentially. Well, not doing it at the speed that they needed to do. Right, right. The only way for them to stop doing that is to for workers to physically remove you, which is a lot of like visual. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And physically like hard to do and a bona fide strike starts to happen at gm so like bunch of strikes start to happen at the same time people start doing this 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 sit-in a bunch of other general motor companies were like workers were like yeah we're gonna be a part of this and it just kind of build and build until like gm had to respond so it took gm two weeks to respond what they did was they cut off the heat during the winter oh my god and blocked people from bringing in food when this happened all hell breaks loose, okay? People were like, oh, fuck no. 
and police use tear gas. This is a great moment. But the wind goes back to the policemen. Oh, wow. They were trying to tear gas the workers? Yes. Not... Happens now, too. But anyways, like, they tried the police the police because the police are never on your side let's always remember that the police tried to tear gas the workers the wind caught it and came right back to the policeman and this is called the battle of the running bulls because the bulls being a term for the police and they had to retreat because their own tear gas oh my god and this was a big win for them they were like yes wow so gm finally recognizes the sole union as the representation of the workers and they got an increase of 10 percent of income Companies are now beginning to recognize their own us- unions because they don't want any of that drama to avoid you all the companies today. Like in the 30s and 40s, like all oh, the- in the 30s and 40s. But like big companies, why we have unions now today is really because of this battle of running bulls. And there was such a media sensation, I guess you could call it, that other companies were like, well, we have to start recognizing unions just so we don't have that happen at our workplace. Mm-hmm. 12% increase happens in the 30s and 34 it's in the 50s of, of unions being recognized and, and, momentum wow. happening people are getting time off time and a half for their overtime which is great the hours are capped at 40 hours this is a big deal like this stuff yeah. is happening people are getting weekends there's health benefits now included people are seeing the gains and the labor movement works this gives us clues of what is basically happening currently like i was just kind of, kind of comparing and contrasting but what we have is the trauma of the pandemic that what they had was the trauma the depression but we still we have a similar feeling of vulnerability and, and betrayal like that exists in all of us and we want institutions like a union that provides some kind of security mm-hmm. because we had none of that and mm-hmm. it was very clear that we had none of that so like we're not seeing any increase of income on a general level even though supposedly the we're bouncing and recovering. Like the workers at GM were not the most marginalized workers. This is the big point. They were making more than most, but they were educated. Right. Like I said. And the people leading these more modern unions are college ed- educated. College educated people are the special sauce for some reason because people are just. Because they're like privileged and they know. Yeah. You have all these people who like graduate with degrees and are like, I, I was promised something else. You were promised something else. Yeah. And they're not finding jobs. Well, or they're finding jobs, but it's like they're... In Starbucks. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. In a a typical recession, it's just usually typical for a year or so, but these effects of 2008 have lasted to even the pandemic, right? And a lot of people that are college educated are like waiters or just like trying to do social justice jobs and they're even baristas. But what's a collection of these jobs are they're low paying. Again, not the lowest to be clear like they're still not the they have some power in their position right right starbucks is a big one and starbucks has been a leader in these unions because a lot of students decided to go there because they knew they could make some kind of income with here's the big part health benefits Mm -hmm. right they just end up staying there for 10 years but with built frustration that they're not doing something else maybe or they Mm -hmm. could be doing something else but it's just hard it's hard Mm -hmm. it's hard like i graduated with a master's still had to get an internship i'm getting an assistant planner position that's temporary Mm -hmm. like times are hard Mm -hmm. like to get in so i get it wanting just like whatever you can get and like building a career from whatever you got like it makes complete sense but of course it sucks because they're like again we're not getting any of these gains and the pandemic was basically the spark. And they were now put in conditions that were considered unsafe. Yeah. So, but like comparatively from the 30s to now, I think we as workers have less power because 
we're competing against globalization. Right. Like there's a lot of jobs that can be outsourced exactly. across seas. We're easily replaceable. And we've kind of shifted into from manufacturing to services like GM was manufacturing. Their biggest cost wasn't necessarily labor. It was like the metals that they had to buy, like all these things that they had to buy, mm. materials that they had to buy. But now we're getting into services like tech that focuses on labor being the most expensive thing. And they have a much bigger impact on business and profit. So people don't want to give high like high wages because that would affect their their profit essentially. Their Wait, bottom but line. tech so because tech our our income is the biggest cost. Right. Versus manufacturing, our income would not be. Gotcha. Our social services are that just that they're social services anyways so that is my conclusion on radical optimism being met i mean kind of yeah and so how would you say you're seeing this in fashion okay so cottagecore and nec's were like the breakout stars for me i guess and essentially things that i saw online that i saw in real life but like cottagecore I think cottagecore is just a general vibe with everybody I know. Everybody wants to can. Everybody wants to slow down. Yeah, yeah. And so I think like in terms of radical optimism, cottagecore is an example of this in terms of... And so like cottagecore was like 2020, right? Is like when that I think got coined, really picked up steam. I don't know that I'm seeing like prairie dresses. Are you kidding me? Per se. Target. Oh, really? Tons. Really? Yes. Um, I mean, I don't think I've seen it. I don't see anything. I don't see anybody. I see you. I see the internet, <laughs> though, you know. I mean, I guess like the big callers, whatever. It's, I think, like, apart from it being the, like, I feel like it, the way we thought of it in the beginning was like this aesthetic of, yeah, like ruffles, corsets. I don't think that's cottage core. It's cottage core to ask. I've seen people wear like the loose corsets over i don't think that's cottage i think cottage core is like it should be a dress that you can make it's like you're living in a cottage it's about this idyllic of escapism of you know like sewing your own stuff churning your own butter and it's like that was so pandemic of people having time to do it and then also kind of it has to do with this labor movement in that it's about people wanting to be free from work yeah and wanting to be able to like be self-sufficient and exactly and so like a lot of the diy culture that we're seeing and that leads us to talk about like cottage core as a like a materialized thing like knitting knitting is a literally a craft that's feminine which i would also identify as cottage core has a feminine aspect to yes it. yeah definitely and so we we read this article that lesbian knitting from self-sufficiency to self-representation by eleanor medhurst who is on tiktok tiktok ellie medhurst who wrote this article that was about about queer knitting practices specifically lesbian and bush lesbian knitting practices and it was super interesting because yeah like we think of cottage core or of knitting and these practices as being domestic which we think of as being just feminine we've talked about the similar thing with embroidery how it's thought of as craft instead of art because it's feminine and so her article was about really bringing this alternative narrative of the history of of lesbians knitting is knitting isn't just hetero obviously but also like i think originally its context was the dichotomy 
from man to fe- a female and like it was very womany like a woman like needed to be a good embroiderer and knitter to be considered a good wife it was their only outlet of art because art at the time was made for i mean men. i wonder if like would you say that about embroidery that almost feels like if you're a man do you care if your wife embroiders her napkins or are you just like yeah, she made me this napkin. This is like, again, mostly the turn of like the, it's, it identifies, this is Victorian age I'm talking about mostly, but identified like she's a, a good educated woman gotcha. that's modest and probably a virgin. Like she was handed the cards and ta- like she goes to school and you're taught in embroidery to be like how to be a lady essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's educated. It's not like as much as like how talented she is. It's, she has domestic knowledge. And as she had the wealth to to do that as well good dowry right there yeah. for a, but like yeah but like of course not every woman was hetero even when they were married like everybody was supposed to be hetero there was no lesbian back in the day but now we live in a world that is subversive yeah she mentions in this article another piece that's about like male knitting practices and i don't know that i'll read that one but it's <laughs> basically it's like yeah there's other there's other narratives yeah, reclaiming their time, creating a sense of meaning behind garments. It's like slow fashion. That's what's in trend. <laughs> well, yeah. she talks about how her partner, like how butch lesbians identify as being helpful and how like knitting, part of what knitting is for, for them is it's part of that, of being helpful, of like making things for people. One of the historical references that they provide is Women for Peace, and they made these banners from Greenham Common. It's a collection of protest camps are active from 1981 to 2000, and they're congregated around Greenham Common Royal Air Force Base in Berkshire in the UK, specifically in the form of protest banners. It does not reference the presence of lesbians at Greenham since lesbian struggles were not in the forefront of Greenham women activism. This may seem trivial, yet for many women, the campaign for peace was intermittently uh, intertwined with the feminist movement or indeed their lesbian identities. This is evident in the work done by artist Ellen Lesperance, who spent 10 years collecting images and video stills of knitted jumpers from Greenhand Common and has created her own art inspired by them. And uh, boy, are they amazing. If you can check her stuff out, please do. When she uses lesbian imagery, a double-headed axe and a double Venus or women symbol, basically. And symbols are a really big part of that too. And so like, that's just so cool to me that they were literally knitting their protest banners like how fucking sick must of those protest banners look i know i love that i also like this is fine knitting i've seen some of their stuff it's like beautiful stuff mm. it kind of it, it doesn't kind of it directly reminds me of the aids epidemic quilts the aids quilts mm. where people made quilts right before they were dying it's just like so impactful when people make a garment together as a tool of activism yeah and there's also an act of radical optimism that goes into knitting a protest banner where you're like exactly this is going to be worthwhile enough that i'm going to knit this whole thing this cause is worthwhile enough that yeah, I'm going to do this whole thing. Pattison, Leslie Pattison also designed and knitted a number of lesbian jumpers in the 1980s. Another person that I fucking love. Like, mm. her stuff was my favorite. Leslie Pattinson. Leslie Pattinson was crafting lesbian visibility into physical being with yarn and symbolism. And I love that phrasing. And in the case of the triple Venus lightning bolt pattern, by allowing other les- lesbians to do the same. So she, like, made it a, made a pattern. Another really fucking amazing thing that you can do is you can make a pattern. And then you can share that pattern. That's what's so fucking cool. It's like used to be in magazines. They used to have 
patterns you could use. Yeah, but you have to buy those. These are just like things that you could just share. Like the symbolism was important to her. In an interview with WYQS Project, she said, of the lightning bolt ju- jumper, the lightning for me is about power and energy and force and immediacy. A bit of fear as well because it's powerful stuff. And the women's symbol I liked because it's three of them. So it's not too linked together, which is it denotes more of a lesbian sexual relationship, a couple, but it's three. So it's saying lesbians together as a group and can be powerful and strong. They also talk about the separatist movement, which is women and lesbians wanted to just separate from men completely the author kind of notes that like there were people left out of that movement you know people who had children or people who that were boys identifying that were boys yeah born born as boys or whatever and but the separatist movement was very rooted in diy culture or dependent on diy culture because obviously if you like separate from all of the men in society they like own the stuff a lot of the stuff so you like have to go about making your own thing so that's another way that like knitting was crucial to lesbians yeah i have mad respect for separatists because there are some here in seattle there that that have like a rooted history called van dykes was the group because they all lived in their vans and they traveled to like mexico as a group but like yeah it is a problematic because i mean some black lesbians believe that separating them against like black men they couldn't fight against racism as a unit yeah there is like a lack of an intersectionality because you don't want to leave your together we have to fight stuff together unfortunately fortunately like men suck but i even hate saying this but like stuff like fighting racism is a common cause but yeah you know, i dream of a world of a utopia where it's just me and my gals you know and my non-binaries peeps and aside from the self-suspicion she comes with craft craft is an essential part of thriving living Cue the cottagecore aesthetic. As Sammy Willie writes in a piece magazine for ID, cottagecore isn't about running away from reality, but a chance for those involved to find each other and imagine the future they want to sow. Lesbian knitting, like many other things, is not monolithic experience. Cottagecore, especially lesbian cottagecore, was about imagining a better future. And sometimes it's about separatism. And sometimes it's about activism. And sometimes it's just being lesbian because a lesbian is the one knitting, <laughs> which I love. And so one of the, yeah, they, she talks about Ala Mizalev examines in Whip Your Hobby into Shape, Knitting, Feminism, and the Constructing of Gender. Again, shit I want to read. She suggests that it's about con- taking control of one's time when is, it is almost impossible because of the pressures of multifaceted lives. This is a place where I don't, I don't fully buy Why? Because I think people talk about knitting as a way to take back your time. But I think a lot of how people knit, and this is how I would do it, is you would do it while doing something. It's a way to be productive while watching TV, while at church, while like, I don't know why I use church as an example. It just makes me, because it's like a place when you're sitting and you can't leave. Mostly just watching TV. Yeah. You know, other things you do while sitting. I don't know. Someone reading out loud to you. Or even if you're like gathered with friends, like it's, there is a, like there is a busyness to it of like, I want something to do with my hands. I, I agree in that I that's how I get my crafts done is mm-hmm. like I, I like I don't like to think too hard about my crafts. One of my favorite knitters just talked about like she got really like the one that you got the print from. She talks about she got good at knitting because she needed to do something while she watched The Real Housewives. Yeah. And it's like that's important. Yeah. But it is still like you're occupying your time in the way that you decide it. And I think it's like almost giving a guilt free aspect of it, which is like we need to unpack that. Right. Right. 
But in a sense of a point of this is about cottagecore, we're going to just say knitting slows you down. Mm-hmm. Fair. And in this world, that's only getting faster and faster. What it really is, like I write here, it's a rebellion against mass production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like so much of what we're seeing, and we've talked about how the 2010s were like the worst for fashion and probably because we were just like at peak fast fashion. That was like, I think before it became really popular to not buy fast fashion and so so much of what we're seeing right now is like so such a revolt and it's interesting because there's been like a couple ways you can react to fast fashion and one of them has minimalism in that it's like about buying one staple basic like Everlane of being like this is like welcome to the, the I bought your, into that welcome too. to your wardrobe for the rest of your life yeah but then it can also be more about like getting crafty and DIYing things and and the last comment I want to say is knitting butch this really has nothing to do with anything it's just the question they ask in there and it's also something I've pondered because I identify knitting and embroidery with being a very femme the history is femme and simply because you are handy and making it okay like being butch is like being handy essentially mm-hmm. like being able to do things with your hands is what I I think about. And since knitting is doing something with your hands yeah. and creating something that is a produce that's useful, I would say it is. But also Fortune Finmeister, who's a comedian, jokes about this in her uh, latest stand up where she's just like, in 2020, like in the pandemic, I found out I was not butch, even though she's very butch looking and her like wife now is very fin looking. But like she would just talk about how she hated doing anything and <laughs> was scared of everything and just That's like funny. <laughs> she's not the butch one in the couple is when it turned out. So yeah, because she and her reasoning being like she didn't like doing stuff. Right. Like, it's like the joke that's like, you don't need to ask like who's the man or the woman in the couple. You ask who drives and who likes astrology. Yeah, exactly. Another thing, okay, for another thing that was a big trend or at least talked about last year is going to be the up and coming thing was indie sleaze. That was one of our biggest, most watched TikTok. And people kept on talking about indie sleaze way past its expiration date. I still think it's trending. I don't know. But like indie sleaze was a big part of 2022, regardless if it actually existed or not. Yeah, I... When you put that on the roster, I was kind of like, I mean, I haven't, it hasn't been at the forefront of my media this year. And it it's hasn't, it's, it's a weird trend to talk about because it is like, if you see grunge around you, if you see punk around you, there can be elements of indie sleaze in that, but it's like, doesn't read to me as indie sleaze. And I went back and I watched a lot of Old Loser in Brooklyn's videos. And I mean, Sean Monahan predicted the return of indie sleaze i think old loser in brooklyn is like kind of the main person who predicted it and who got interviewed a lot i mean i think like a lot of the conversation was solely related to her and and so it kind of made me wonder like is it was it just a lot of conversation or was it actually thing that's coming back and so she kind of said like it'll you know like it will but she didn't necessarily mean it was like gonna be this year i think she's kind of you know she's a professional she's a professional she doesn't want to, she's not a dumb, she does trend forecasting. She knows how to do trend forecasting. Right. But like, as I was reading more about it, an indie sleaze icon emerged for me. Yes. Who is it? Julia Fox. I would agree. I had, I had not connected those two things together, but as I was reading more about it, it's like, okay, there's a DIY aspect to indie sleaze, which is less knitting, more 
cutting the top of your jeans off cutting and, and wearing yeah cut like scissors are the only thing you need <laughs> <laughs> for sure which is also like the Mew Mew exactly what, what the Mew Mew skirt the inspired which was like yeah chopping things off wearing it as a top whatever and so much of what Julia Fox was doing with denim I mean you know there might have been someone influencing her also who we just don't need to talk about or give credit to I don't think I think they influenced her with the designer Balenciaga but right. I don't think you think the denim stuff was like her Oh, her. Yeah, okay. And She's then the, giving looks regardless. And the eyeliner, like... Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. It has been the cat eye year. And just like the thick, like too much makeup, but it's like... Not cute, it but It doesn't have to look good. That's the whole point. That's the whole point, yeah. And so... Punk. It's, it's fucking bad. I don't know. I love it. I love everything Julia Fox wears, even yeah. though it looks insane sometimes i'm here for it yeah yeah it's funny our friend was had watched white lotus and was like what is up with those eyebrows what is up with those instagram eyebrows and i was like those are not instagram eyebrows those are laminated yeah those are laminated those are like trendy they're talking about porsche's eyebrows just so you know porsche's eyebrows and i didn't even clock it because i'm so used to it they're so normal and she was like i thought bleaching your eyebrows was what everyone was doing i'm like only the truly unhinged like that's not (laughs) like a mainstream trend that's like that's like pop stars and julia fox like yeah that's what that's what like the people that don't have to have a real job can do but so yeah indie sleaze is all about low quality flash photos explicitly partying in photos which i think also relates to like not giving a fuck about professionalism though it's hard to say because i feel like my indie sleaze era was before i was a professional so like obviously i didn't care about professionalism then yeah i didn't either okay so then- but that's like what grunge and indie sleaze is about like in the early 90s and stuff like it was about not working like anti-fashion right. movement was about like yeah right and because yeah because there's like the indie sleaze and twee of the 90s there's the indie sleaze of the 2010s and so one of the aspects of indie sleaze or like twee or hipster is like using outdated technology like type everyone's like about typewriters you had like oh my god poetry Ew. typewriter poetry on the sidewalk cringe or like, or like um, disposable cameras, which I love. I do still love those. And there was just a piece in the New York Times like a few days ago about this group called the Luddite Club, a group of high school teens who have decided to either not have phones at all or use flip phones or just be mindful of how much they're using their phones. And that I think is a perfect example of indie sleaze. And you look at the, um, if you read this article, they... They take a photo of the teen's bedroom. I was like really imagining all of this happening. Like this this reporter who's like with these teens in Prospect Park in Brooklyn and then goes back to the house. Ha- I was just like imagining all that happened. But they took a photo of the, the young person who started it and their room covered in graffiti that looks like it was done with like a crayon. It's like all colorful. And then the ads for the Luddite Club are all like chopped up magazines. It's oh, like, I love it. It's so DIY. It's and it's like they know who Ned Ludd is. Like they know the that roots story. of the word Luddite is about, you know, textile workers destroying machinery in a in opposition to mechanized textile production. So it's just a cool I example, I think, of how like indie sleaze is manifesting in the younger generation. Yeah. And and flip phones are their version of Ludditing, which is kind of funny, but it is it's also like like what our only option that we had during the indie sleaze era you know i someone was talking about indie sleaze coming back and they were like yeah you know with like corded headphones i'm like some of us haven't even converted to airpods yet i know and i refuse to I'm like, i know i get caught sometimes and i get really upset about that and it pops out but i just don't think it's worth it someone recently saw me using my headphones and they were like oh my 
my God, corded headphones. That's so like quaint or something. And I was, dude, there. this is not old technology. This is like a normal, I just like, I will lose them. I will lose my AirPods. No, I will too. But the thing is, I have like working out, it is always a struggle, but I just like, I, I've not had, I've lost, I've already, I bought cheap versions of Bluetooth headphones and the battery, I had to keep charging them and, and, and I did lose it and I was like, this can't ever happen again. But now I just don't listen to music of my own kind. I, it's something I'm just like, you know what? I have to just deal with my consequences and because I don't have pockets in any of my pants. So I can't like just put it in my pocket and do the thing. I have to like, yeah. So there is a benefit to having Bluetooth and working out, Bluetooth headphones and working out. But that's the only time that I feel like it's absolutely Ooh, when I beneficial. Cook, it's like, I like to listen to stuff when I cook and like. But Bluetooth speakers. Yeah, but I Brian doesn't necessarily want to listen to when I'm listening. That's fair. When I'm listening to a podcast, I'll, I'll like put my phone in my bra and then my cords are my ears it's mm-hmm. such a, it's such a i actually was like regretting that i didn't ask for them for christmas <laughs> it is just a matter of time though until we lose it and that is something that i'm just like i'm just gonna be annoyance to the day i die yeah i mean my ability to deal with inconvenience is like yeah it, it is very high for immense you. <laughs> like concerningly immense <laughs> but i also think i saw this on tiktok where they had flip phones and they only had like each other's phone numbers they were like everything comes back they were like, I don't know if this is the same group or not, but th- this girl was saying everything comes back. All our problems come back to having access to our phones and like we're never present. We're all, all we're texting that fucking dude. We're crying at the the club. Like it's all because we have our iPhones and we can we can traumatize ourselves. With- Which I'm like, it makes me feel like an old hag because I'm like, honey, you think your problem is just related? Let me tell you. <laughs> There are problems. You think people don't have problems so they had iPhones? <laughs> but yeah, but they don't have to be crying at the club. That is like a ridiculous. Like if you're at the club, you should be at the club. Like you should be having a good why time. Would they, why are they crying? They're, because they're texting stupid dudes that hurt their feelings or something. Or yeah. like, you know, like just getting in fights on their phone and like looking at their phone. I just would never preoccupy myself with like, if I'm going to go dance, I'm fucking going to go out and dance. Like I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I think the Luddite club was talking about how horrible tiktok is which like i was like i love tiktok but i imagine it's you have a really different relationship to it when you're young it's like your whole like way more of your social network and status is based around sure i mean it sounds shitty to be i think it's really cool actually not to be on social media too as a young person yeah yeah i'm sure like you're the you're taking the alt route you know right um but yeah, I I don't I can't I just can't understand. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I also grew up in a world where I didn't have much as much contact with everybody all the time. So when I went out, I would go out like yeah. I mean, I could still text people. They still could hurt my feelings at the club. They actually were at the club, and they would just hurt my feelings right there in front of me, mm-hmm. like by like making out with other people or something. But yeah, I get it. I get it. Finally, we're halfway through. Okay, looking forward is all about me just looking basically at WGSN's consumer reports. And I read their white paper report called Create Better in Future Consumerism 2023. And the four concepts of consumer sentiments summed up the reasoning behind a lot of these trends that are are going to be moving forward. So the four cons- concepts of consumer sentiments are time perception, numbness, hope, cautious motivation. These are basically behavioral, behavioral drivers that impact compute consumer mindset. Time perception, because they last year kind of predicted like people were doing the same things, but on a different time schedule. Oh, like asynchronous. Yeah. Thing. And time perception is going to, I guess, is, is part of that like lack of understanding of when, where people are and when they're, they are. And, and perception is just 
people are going to be a little bit debased from the nine to five, you know? Right. It's like, yeah, I imagine so much of consumer predictions rely on the time of year where they're like, oh, like publishing is supposed to pick up in September. Like books are supposed to sell during this mm-hmm. time of year, but they're not right now. Yeah. It's like nothing's happening when it's supposed to. Yeah. Because we're all just living in our own internet. So work from home. Expanding world. Expanding world. Yeah. Or nothing. Yeah. The time. There is no time. There's a deadline sometime. And that's all I know. And that's what that's what keeps me up at night. And otherwise, I've been waking. Yeah. My schedule is going to be fucked up here in the next couple weeks. When I start my job. Numbness. I think that's clear that we're all kind of dead inside. <laughs> and then, you know, the general hope that we just need to like get up out of bed. You know, that's just hope. That's just, you know, what we have to have. Last year was radical optimism and now it's just plain hope. Yeah, they weren't thinking big. And cautious motivation. I think everybody's like burnt out on the like the union labor movement slash like George Floyd. Just like coming out of all this stuff is exhausting. And the fact that nothing's like just why do we have to fight everything? It feels like we're just constantly fighting and it's just like nothing's given to us. Everything's hard. Literally everything's hard. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. So I think cautious motivation is the right word for that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, with the time perception one, it's, I think, could be considered with nostalgia as well, which is why you're seeing all these callbacks. Like Y2K, even Indie Slays, like I was saying, coming back into the forefront. Unmourned from the usual rhythms of our daily lives, time feels elastic, stretching infinitely ahead, and then without warning, snapping back. I feel like with the trend cycle, I feel like the 10-year cycle of trends is kind of breaking down, or the 20-year cycle of trends is kind of breaking down. We're, We're able to see all of time, all the time. Yeah. And so we're able to like pick and choose from different decades, and there's not like a cohesive time marker yeah exactly and also we're just like there's a lot of people are just trying to thrift so they're buying with what they have that's also an aspect to it Mm -hmm. which is old stuff oh i'm so excited to thrift in nashville you should be i i hope it works out and then another time warped unlocking the mysteries of time perception academics name the lack of time wait so there's a book called time warped okay unlocking the mysteries of time perception it's a yeah the author claudia hammond writes academics name the lack of time perception the quarantine paradox Time became a collective focal point. How to pass it. How to make the most of it. How to endure it. Whether people were stress baking, which by the way, global flower sales rose 238%. Gardening or hosting virtual cocktail parties. A vast majority of people spent time reflecting on good old days. This memory to time reflection is part of the wider behavioral trait psychologist term, the reminiscence bump. This could also be a callback to lesbians and knitting article, which where people are arguably taking back their time. And according to the Recording Industry Association of America, vinyl records outsold CDs in 2020 for the first time. That's crazy to me. Since the 1980s. Why is it crazy for you? Just to like outsold, oh, CDs. Well, that does make sense because no one buys CDs. (laughs) But that was the first time since the 1980s that that had ever happened. So you're even as late as 2019, people were buying CD-ROMs. Yeah, apparently. And the consumers, if they weren't even playing like Super Mario Kart, they were comfort viewing. Hulu reported that in t- April 2020, 11 million hours were spent across the globe watching the 1980s sitcom. Do you, do you know what it is? Golden Girls. Yeah. Expect sleep and rest to remain a growing focus as we head into 2023 our future consumer 2022 report highlighted the the rise of desynchronized society that's what i was talking about earlier mm-hmm. where people are doing the same things but at different times and the element of social jet lag can have similarly disruptive effect on our sense of routine 
and even on our wider health. So, you know, maybe pajama wear will be the next big thing. People are just not getting enough sleep. And you could blame it on like people socializing at different times. But really, it's because we're all being overworked. And we're all grumpy because we're overworked and under socialized. Are these sentiments the ones that provide the spark that is needed to basically evolve into a socialist utopia is a question that I asked because these consumer reports are, I don't know, kind of a red fucking flag to me in the sense that you're trying to sell num- to people that are numbed the fuck out, holding on with hope and cautiously motivated with a tinge of, uh, where are we? What's going on? Right. You know, like, right. I just love also that like they come out with these things and they're like, okay, you guys, this year, everyone's <laughs> numb, cautiously motivated, and the color is very, very pink. It's like, are you guys listening to yourself? No, they know. They're like, healthcare is bad. Yeah. Everybody's sick. Right. Um, no, they know. That's what they're like. That's the thing. They're, they're trying to like, Put it on a plate. They, they hear themselves, but they also have to do a job of like creating a report that's authentic, but also, I guess, digestible for for companies to utilize and mm-hmm. create content around. I don't even know how you work with this. I don't know if I were Coca-Cola or Pepsi or I got this, I'd be like, well, let's just shut down. But of course, they're not going to do that. Right. But like, what do you do with this information in my, is what I'm wondering. Like, how do you... I guess, like I said, we you make a Pepsi commercial with Kendall Jenner giving the fucking it to the police guy and then say it solves ra- racism or mm-hmm. like, v- yeah, the VS Collective. There's tons of others. Why can't I think of any? But like just all kind of like creating DEI reports. They're like, okay, like talking about how they love inclusivity and like diversity and like maybe that's how they do it. It's just selling this idea of woke capitalism, putting their name on any like pride parade float. I think that's what they do with it. I don't know. Yeah, like, wasn't wasn't weren't you talking about there being a trend of like the the recycling trend, like upcycling as being we like get, we get to that okay, but that's the thing. Like, I just want to relate these consumer points to back to what I was saying earlier about it being like the height of unions right. being organized. Gotcha. And I'm saying, are these consumer behaviors a sentiment? to the the next thing which would be the social utopia right, right. and i'm gonna give you a little bit of background of what the marxist mode of production is mm-hmm. and okay so this is like a theory that marx Karl marx c- came up with i think there's i think there's five stages of modes of production i'm not quite sure um but i'll tell you all of them here primitive consumerism which is the first i guess step i guess stage um or mode in which possession were generally held within the tribe until the advent of agriculture. Then acetate mode, the first form of class society, and forced labor is extracted by a smaller group. And then tech advances during that time happen, such as writing, irrigation, math, and standardized weights, make all this possible. And then there was slavery, or ancient mode, um, which during that time, coinage, affordable iron tools, and the alphabet helped with the division of labor. And then an aristocratic group of people lived their leisure lives by enslaving workers. And then there is the feudal mode, comes after the ancient mode slash slavery mode, where the Roman Empire falls and things become more localized, like more tribal. Mm. An emergent class begins to appear through serfs. 
which is essentially the same thing as enslavement because they had no chance of mobility through class and no income. But different because they're different. not enslaved. Yeah, they're not enslaved. They had a little more freedom, I guess. I don't really understand it, but it's different. They're like autonomous. I mean, yeah, you know, autonomous. They get to... Yeah, supposedly. Well, then let's speed up to... Well, cap- not supposedly. It's like, you know, it's a different... It's different vibe, yeah. It's different. I'm not sure how. Not a different vibe. It's very different material conditions. Okay, 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 okay. And then let's speed up to capitalism. That's the next mode, which is, you know, what we know, (laughs) what we're what we're in right now. And man, they're basically demanding a wage for their for their labor, which had previously been free. And I'm not saying capitalism has been beneficial to all, because I think it's more globalism has been the big issue, but like capitalism has been a lot of uh, beneficial to a lot of more let's just say white people globally effectively there are still a lot of people that are still enslaved there's still people that are doing serfs there's, it's it's when we say it's beneficial i don't it's not to everyone right right but it was a mode that like let offered mobility through the class system through the class system as well like finally giving wage to people that didn't have any mm-hmm. prior. And rather than like, yeah, being like, because like part of feudalism, wasn't it like you gave someone a loan and then they kind of had to like, it was like domestic Inde- servitude, indentured yeah. servitude kind of thing. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you just get pay. You're not indentured and whatever. Yeah. Um, things and people through, according to Max, exist only as a tool of profit for capitalism, essentially. Like people that were, they just existed to keep capitalism alive and profit. That is how capitalism works. And capitalism is honestly revolutionary because it gave this economic standpoint and and provided a lot of positive impacts to a lot of people. Again, not everybody. And that's what's important. But it still did provide some outlets for people to exist and still do exist in better a better living situation that they would have previously. Though Mark says its only downfall will be exploitative, their exploitative nature and how they alienate the worker. So eventually we'll just all get fed up with capitalism. Maybe we could say we we become numb. We got a little hope in us. Maybe we'll become like, uh, what's the other one? Maybe uh, we'll forget what time ca- is. <laughs> yeah, and, maybe, uh... maybe cautious motivation will be behind it. But yeah, it's class consciousness is, I think, I mean, with this consumer report, I feel like it's on its way. It's in the fashion trends. It's in the things that we keep seeing come up. Like, it's in Andy Slees. It's in the Luddites movement. It's in, it's in, it's, it's here. It's, we're seeing it. It's in the vintage movement. And the results of the fashion business suggest we're similar to last year, basically. Like, I was just saying, like, the Luddite movement. That we were just saying the Andy Slees movement and all that stuff. This has been happening for the past five years. There's been, like, in 2021, when I asked our chatbot, what's up? He said sustainability. I'm guessing it's a he. It's not binary, really. But sustainability and, like, vintage clothes were a big aspect of it. It still is. Because we are in such a consciousness of how much fashion is ruining the world. And to be responsibly caring about fashion, you you could not – you cannot not be aware of the fast fashion as being a huge problem. Like, mm-hmm. you are faced with that. Or at least you should be, and then you should question it. Some of the trends that they showcased, they gave some data points, was sustainable clothing really peaked and have risen. S- sustainable clothing searches, right? This is people yes, are Googling Yes, that's what it. I meant. 
And consumers are looking specifically for ethical brands and affordable options. And this is from the past five years in Google Trends. And there is a, you can see a, a report rising over the last, especially 2020 and 2021. With that, I will say any company that says they are sustainable is not true. You cannot be a company and be sustainable. You can be a vintage store. You can be a thrift store. You're saying you can't be a brand making new clothing no yeah like everlane really tries to sell its sustainability and they were union busting left and right we did a whole thing on it but people feel better about buying from them because they sell themselves as such i mean i think like that's a pretty i think as a general statement that's true i think like what we see from brands who say they're sustainable it's it's not true because they are still beholden to I think especially any publicly traded company because they have right. to grow. Like if you if you're a truly capitalist. making small batch things, especially out of recycled materials, like I mean, what does it mean to be sustainable? Like I guess we could argue that producing any product is unsustainable. Yeah. But if we don't have that be our definition, then like, yeah, you can be a sustainable brand, but it's like you're most you're probably like ninety nine percent of the, ch- the time you're not. Yeah. I mean, there's tests of seeing what you do and like the materials you buy. They don't even like Everlane is a big f- phony all around. Like they don't have good labor like rights. They also like their material isn't like always great and how they obtain it isn't great. Like there's a lot of there's like a list of things that you can look at for sustainability. But like honestly, the degrowth movement, it has been happening I don't know how many people it's, – it's, it's growing as an idea at least. And you can't – yeah, you can't buy products from a company that's main thing is to produce and sell like because they're still producing items that contribute to waste essentially. And that's a no-go. We already ha- – we have everything that we need. It already exists now, right yeah, now. right. Like there's no reason to like create fabric or even like like especially plastic fabric. There's no reason for it. It right. already exists in, in tenfolds. Like, right. but well, they- and that gets at like when so like companies. It's if you try to reuse fabric, it's just like it reduces efficiency, right? It's like companies can't do those things without paying too much for labor or like exactly. And so it's like really just. It's just, yeah, against everything that companies now rely on. Exactly, to to be profitable. And that's why you can't trust any company trying to tell you that they're sustainable because, like, in the end game, it's not their goal to be sustainable. In the end game, is to be profitable. And profitability and sustainable don't align, like, essentially. And, again, sustainable is such a greenwashed word. I can't even – I can't say it without, like, what I'm really meaning, which is just, like, a, the betterment of, of like, well, the universe. I think, like, it's – inherently if you're just trying to sustain you're not profiting if you're literally just trying to sustain yourself sustain the people you work around you don't profit you're just sustaining yeah it's like exactly (laughs) exactly search interest for recycled is also on the rise of the parable uh, apparel category with top related topics including clothing and sustainability and brands. And this is a Google trend again, and that peaks around 2020 and 2021. Their key takeaways is prioritize biodiversity, 
seek out tanneries, spinners, mills, and fiber producers using regenerative agriculture practices. Choose organically farmed leather, cotton, wool, and vast fiber developments. Use third-party certifications and track and trace technology to connect business targets directly to product development, which is something they already know they should be doing. But Right. It's like do all the hard stuff. Yeah, exactly. Challenge your design approach. Put your product's life cycle at the forefront of design decisions lead with innovation before decoration design with minimal waste ease of recycling repair reuse and resell in mind okay lead with innovation before decoration why did why what is why why like why can't decoration is is not what's making this unsustainable like because they think minimalism is the way is sustainable they that they think that's like that people this is intertwined of like, how do you make things look sustainable is make them look f- clean. Right. And how do you like, yeah, something's got to give, I guess. And it's like, yeah, that just doesn't make sense. Innovation can't save us. It's just, from- the, it's, it's tech. They're taking it from the tech world. This is like tech language. This is literally, I feel like they took it from. Yeah. They're like sustainability means we just got to get more innovative. Right. It's like, oh, if you if I have a special fabric and I don't put anything on it, then somehow it'll be sustainable for me to make a million new products a year. It's like, no, it just never is going to be sustainable for you to do that. Yeah, I agree. And also like decoration or as we like to call it, ornateness is a key aspect of culture. It's showcasing who like expression. Right. And adding flair isn't the problem. Right. It's the mass production that's the problem. Right. They're trying to stream, like, have less mass production. I, they still want production to happen. That's the thing. They're like, not, they're not saying not to produce. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find a way to mass produce, but at a less effective, like, less impactful way. Mm-hmm. And so they come to this conclusion that innovating is better than decorating. Really, it's just, again, because they're having to consult to companies isn't actually the results they are getting and what they're saying aren't don't align and they don't i don't know if they realize it or not but also they have this is their job to create some kind of idea for companies and and therefore they're providing what they can within the framework of right right they can't put out a report and be like you guys i don't know if you've heard but the climate is (laughs) fucked and you guys need to stop making all your all your shirts (laughs) like yeah, but I think they could have, like, I think it's just such a far stretch for, there's not a lot of people that think the mindset, the collective mindset is that minimalism is better for the world. And that's not true. And it's just so annoying that that's just, like, why can't we have, a, a like, a whole shit, cultural shift on understanding that minimalism is, in fact, a product of capitalism? I think it's hard because, and so I've been, like, I was doing a lot of reading on minimalism because I was trying to create a TikTok about like the anti-fashion to minimalism pipeline, but it's so complicated. And I think like one of the issues is that minimalism in terms of owning few things is different than minimalism in terms of a design practice. Yeah. And so like, and, and you know, with like minimalism going back to like architecture and like these things, it's like that people don't think of that for minimalism. They think of like owning few items, which, which does blend with minimalist design aesthetic because you could have your little pillow for your guests to sit on. I mean, the YouTube, the minimalism YouTubers, they're always like, 
here's where my guests sit and it's not a couch <laughs> i can tell you that it's not no, they a hate couch. couches they hate couches but like, i used to do i used to be a minimalist and truly adhere to this and i remember like reading a bunch of books and they're like don't why buy a couch why you're like oh because it's comfy yeah but like fine have your little floor pillow be beaded or embroidered or right like have cool whatever be patchwork like you, it doesn't have to be oatmeal exactly to be exactly yeah there's just like there's a lack of understanding that but also minimalism is just not a vibe but moving on align packaging uh, innovation with wider overall carbon strategies so partner with closed loop recycling and reuse companies to keep packaging in circulation, avoid single use virgin materials, engage customers in returnable packaging, and pack up your claims with relevant certifications. Okay, or just don't use any plastic. And looking at you, Amazon, there's literally no reason for it. But anyways, this brings me to anti-fashion. Did WGSN explicitly say that the new fashion is anti-fashion? No, obviously that would be too weird. That would be crazy. But this is what they are kind of saying in all of this, which is, I think, kind of hilarious because their trend forecasting is for brands to understand their consumer and push products. But WGSN trend forecasting is essentially the antithesis of our current economy. And that's what the I think is kind of like funny to me. What do you mean it's the antithesis to our current economy? Because our current economy is like pro-growth. And like the results are like, hey, maybe just think about not so much packaging. Right. It's not, it's not like that's just, we're heading in a direction that isn't slowing down. Yeah. As much as we want to think that we're better than that, it's not. It's like people are, it's mass production is at an all time high. Like, I mean, Amazon is thriving. Amazon is thriving. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think that it's impossible for us to go back. Like, this is sounding a little bit like hope. Yeah. <laughs> Not just hope as in who she is, but maybe a key behavioral driver. I mean, it's just when we think about the time scale of these things, it's so small to, to, that to think that we can never dial back for mass production, I feel like is... I'm not saying that we are, but I'm saying... We're what, not right now. Yeah, we're not. And what they're trying to predict as a forecaster is not, it's not even a prediction. It's they're like, we need this. Right. right? And it's the antithesis. of It's basically them being like, hey, we're looking at this. And obviously, we need to do the opposite of what we're doing right now. In terms of, I mean, kind of, but they're saying like, well, I guess we could, like, you could still mass produce, but just have better packaging. I guess like, I mean, it is a watered down way of saying it. I'm not saying it's like they're, but but they are. The reason we feel all these things is literally because of the clients that they are giving this information to. So again, it's not like they, again, can't say the thing, which is stop what the fuck you're doing. Anti-fashion can never be mainstream. That's my whole point. Like anti-fashion, like you were saying, it's just so fleeting because. Well, anti-fashion is a reaction to the mainstream. So exactly. as soon as it goes mainstream, it's no longer that. And so what part of what they're predicting are you saying is anti-fashion? The consumer wants to rebel against the system. Like that's what the consumer report is actually saying. It's like, how do we get out of this cycle of what we're doing? And that's how I think anti-fashion enters. It's like they don't want what they're being sold. Like consumers don't want, like they're looking up recycle. Like that's the opposite of what buying new products from companies. Like the mainstream right now, and that we know is Sheen. Like, 
fast fashion. People are buying at a high level. People and Sheen is producing at a high level. So like it's still existing and it's again thriving. So the only thing that can be really anti-fashion is not buying that. <laughs> and essentially as a consumer, the way you can do anti-fashion is to thrift. And I mean, there's details into that that would argue against that a certain look is anti-fashion or not. But I think as a consumer, you can be anti-fashion purely by thrifting. Uh-huh. And that's my point about that. It's about being comfortable. It's about recycling. It's about mending, taking back time, making a statement without breaking the budget, reusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anti-fashion has happened in so many different ways over time. And I like talked about this a little bit on a TikTok I just posted today. And it's like, yeah, like women who were in the Victorian era who were wearing clothes that weren't fashionable because they allowed them to like swim and bike, you know, what's fashionable doesn't have to be driven by consumerism, but it is right now. Like... Because like, yeah, I mean, DIY isn't the only thing that can be anti-fashion, but in a way it inherently is a reaction to the fashion industry because the fashion industry, yeah. Fashion is the industry. Vogue is the tastemakers. The bourgeoisie are the tastemakers still. They still hold that power. All right. That's it then. All right. Love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.